is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, we're reading from Nehemiah chapter 2, and that's verse 11 through to verse 20. Okay. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Now, listen, if you have at all been on any social media for the last few years, you're bound to have been right, um, because we've all been on social media in the last year. But you, you may well have seen um, tags of, of two pictures together um, that start with how it started and how it's going. And they show the starting point of a journey, and usually the positive current situation, often with some kind of sense of wonder about, and maybe even surprise about, um, man, how, how did I get here? I could have never seen that I could have got to this point um, from the beginning of the journey. And it is good to remember our beginnings, our early steps, and be thankful for the grace in our journeys. Um, but inevitably, if you're, if you're on Instagram and you search how it started, how it's going, and you see enough of those pictures, actually, it doesn't look very surprising. It ends up looking a bit more predictable. They often show weight loss or babies growing up or weight loss after babies or aging or humble bedroom offices becoming multinational companies they might show um, demolition of derelict buildings or how it started with full bottles of vodka becoming slightly worse for wear pictures or how it started with unhappy dogs in rescue centers now fully contented in loving homes It might show how it started with excitement on day one of homeschooling and 
how it's going with tearing your hair out as you realize what an amazing job teachers actually do big up teachers anyone who has seen one of these pictures will think well okay it's only a snapshot but if you take both of them together and you can see the progression from one to the next then you start to see meaning in the entire journey so today as we look in god's word at nehemiah's story and we've seen a little bit about it in the video already we, we find him arriving in Jerusalem and stopping for three days. And he's probably recovering from the journey. And he's probably using some of that time to take stock of how it started and how it's going. So let's just remind ourselves how it started. Nehemiah is a Hebrew, a Jew who is in exile in Persia. And he is working faithfully as a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah holds the idea of returning to Judah to, to the capital Jerusalem quite dearly and so when his brother Hanani returns from Jerusalem Nehemiah's heart is broken at the news that the city still lies in ruin and for days on end he mourns and he fasts and he prays and then four months later he has the opportunity to speak to the king about it and the king grants him time and resources and authority to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And now he arrives. I wonder if he had any idea when he heard the bad news from his brother that actually he was going to go and do something about it. Now, it might be normal for some professionals to have that mindset. If you are a plumber and you hear bad news of someone's heating breaking down, you know that you've got the skills and the tools to help. Or a surgeon might see scans of a tumour and know that, okay, they, they've got the training and the resources and the access to theatre to be able to go and help that patient and make them better. But this wouldn't have been the case for Nehemiah. Now, I know that if he was a very faithful cupbearer, he might have had more responsibility just than tasting the wine to see that it wasn't poisoned before the king drank it. Okay, that was the primary job of a cupbearer, but he might have had more responsibility than that. He certainly might have witnessed some uh, conversations on how do you run an empire, but he wasn't a builder and he hadn't seen the city that he was that he was going to return to to try and build so his his knowledge of this was really little and i wonder when was the last time that this might have happened for you maybe you heard the news about a colleague or a friend and it just rocked you or maybe you read something in the news and you felt grieved in a way that you can't explain. Now, most of the time we might hear bad news and we might try to um, uh, move on or uh, look for the positive in it, maybe put it to the back of our mind or just try and find some other way of coping. But sometimes things might hit your heart, they certainly do with mine, in a way that's just a bit more than I can explain, more, more than it should. Sometimes sometimes people or situations come to my mind and I and I'm starting to learn that actually God is using those times and he's calling me hey Tim pray about this they're on your mind because I want you to pray about them they're on your mind because I want you to reach out to them now we can't 
grieve for every piece of bad news that we get. All right. I'm, I'm really not talking here about wallowing in bad news or, oh, there's an, there's another death from COVID and, and um, letting it, letting it fill your heart, letting that be all that you ever speak about, that you would choose fear, that you would catastrophize. It actually looks like Nehemiah kept all these things probably quite private. But what he did do was he kind of embraced it. He kind of gathered up all that heartache and disappointment and he offered it up to God. That's what he did. He, he took it and he turned it to God in his worship, in his mourning, in his prayer and fasting. I wonder if you know that if what you've got on your heart is some sadness, if what you've got is discontentment or, or heartache, that that's a really good thing to bring in worship. That you might not, you don't have to work yourself up into a frenzy of, of, I'm feeling enthusiastic to pray. Actually, you can bring exactly what is on your heart as you pray, as you fast, as you worship. Now, in Nehemiah's account, we don't read that God told him to do this. But we do read in verse 12, God put in his heart something to do for Jerusalem. And it turns out it was building the walls. So what started off as an emotional response over, over time committed in mourning and fasting and prayer, there, there becomes a vision for restoration, for, for renewal in the kingdom. Let's say this, vision and grace get bigger and bigger and bigger in the context of prayer. How it starts is prayer. And as you carry on, he just keeps on expanding your vision, keeps on helping you to see bigger. Because we can ask for all sorts of things in prayer. Psalm 37 says this, says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause before the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Isn't, isn't that phenomenal? That when we delight in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our hearts. Our hearts end up becoming more like his. They break over the same things. Our sense of justice and mercy become aligned with heaven because Paul says this in, in, his, in his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 3, 18. He says, um, and we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, those of us who are thinking about and looking upon God are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which, is, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. It's amazing that as we look upon God, he starts to transform us to, to take on more and more of his likeness and more and more of his heart. And I wonder, how often are we taking what's on our heart, maybe our sadness, and bringing it to him? So we see in Nehemiah that as he arrives in Jerusalem, 
this job was it probably wasn't going to be easy he probably turned up and went hmm i think i'm going to have a little bit of my work cut out here but you can imagine this guy turns up with resources if it looked like ah, it's not as bad as han and i said like he he could have probably turned up and gone hi i'm nehemiah me and my guys here from the king uh, we're going to build the walls all right he would have got on with it in a few days. Everything would have been lovely and he could have gone back to work. Bit of a bonus. But as they appeared on the horizon, we're told that actually Jerusalem looked like a disgrace. Like, like you can start to see it. it's like, whoa, hang on. This place does not look good. This does not look like a holy city. This place looks like a dump. It looks broken down. So he takes him a few days, maybe to recover from his journey, but I bet he's sending up a whole load of prayer in that, in that time too. Lord, I, I barely know where to start with all this. I, I, I barely know where it even started. But I trust that you can see how it's going and you can see how it's going to go. So the next thing that he does goes into reconnaissance mode he doesn't just take Hananiah's account his even though he's trusting in his brother and that was enough to get him to Jerusalem he's got to see it for himself there's no room for fake news here he's not just jumping on a bandwagon he needs to see it for his own eyes he needs to see exactly what the picture is now just that here um last week uh I was up in our trees trimming them down because they grow about five, six foot a year easy. And um, when I'm, uh, we wanted to do it before they start getting heavy with leaves in the springtime. And, and so when I'm, when I'm up there and I've got branches in my face, like smacking me and, and I'm hanging on for dear life with one hand and a saw in the other and trying not to cut off the branch that I'm hanging on to that, Actually, it's quite difficult to know which branches to cut, where to where to take it off to. And um, and what's actually really helpful is Jenny down on the ground, a little bit further away. And she can see the whole picture. I like to call this executive producer mode. OK, and um, but she can see she can see the whole thing and she she can tell me, Tim, get that branch, that, that one that's going up there to your left. No, not that one, Tim. Like she, she can, she can work out. She can see the whole picture while I'm in the the thick of it. In in hospital, we know that that um, in resus situations, if you're the person who's who's on someone's chest doing their compressions, and your adrenaline's going and your head's down, you're probably not the best person to have the the overview of the entire situation. That situation really benefits from someone who's standing back, who isn't getting their hands dirty, who's considering the whole process and they can see, oh look, the person doing chest compressions, they're getting a bit tired. They need to be swapped out for someone else. In Jerusalem, this rebuilding task seemed huge. Why hadn't they got to it already? Why did it need Nehemiah to come and do it? Why can't they just get on with it themselves? Because they were just used to living with it, right? This was just where they lived, 
where they worked, they didn't, they didn't see Jerusalem on the horizon. They didn't see that it looked like a disgrace. They just got used to the piles of rubble. They got used to the fact that there wasn't any protection. They probably put better locks on their doors because of it. But they were used to it. Sometimes it's harder to, to actually tackle the problem. It's easier just to, you get used to working around it. Your, your habits kind of just cope. You survive. You don't thrive in that, that situation where your head's down. Listen, last, last year, I had a few months where my mental health just really wasn't very good. And I, I got to a point, I, just, I got fed up about it and, and, I tell you, it got better the moment that I, I got honest with my life group. I got honest with my friends and asked them to pray for me. Um, and my friends, Richard and Susie, they, they said, why did you put up with it for so long? And I didn't have a very good answer for them. I said, well, I can just put up with something being wrong for ages. Now, that isn't inspiring. Maybe that isn't what you want to hear, but I bet I'm not the only person who can just kind of get into a habit and, you know, who just doesn't see, literally doesn't see the wood for the trees. They need someone a little bit further away speaking to them to say, get this one. That, that's not good, that, that one up there. There's someone who can see the whole picture. Because when your head is down or you've got branches in your face, you're not seeing the whole thing. In Psalm 24, that's a psalm of David. And he, so it's a song and he sings, lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. These, these people in Jerusalem, they were eking out some kind of existence in a place that was a shadow of its former glory. And it had glory because God literally used to dwell there. It was the holy city. It needed to be a place that was that was thriving with the God of heaven at its very heart that didn't look like a disgrace on the horizon. I wonder, I want to ask you this. Do you have a trusted friend? Do you have some people around you who can ask you some honest questions? More than just like, oh, so what are you having for dinner? That's an important question as well, yeah, but but... Have you given them permission to, to ride around your walls, to, to go through your gates, to speak honestly, to speak graciously, to speak lovingly, to help you to see the wood from the trees? Have you got someone? Let me, let me suggest, if you don't, speak to your life group about that. Maybe, maybe if you're not in a life group, is there a trusted friend that you can, that you can ask that actually say, oh, I want to connect with someone over this. I want someone to be able to speak into my life now and again, when, when maybe I'm, uh, when all the branches are in my face or I'm just used to the rubble that's around me. This is what we see next, is that Nehemiah, has to have a talk with the city. And we can tell that this has been something on his mind because actually in, in the verses, we read that he says, well, as yet I'd said nothing to those who would be doing the work. But he was like, oh, <laughs> I've got to convince a whole city to give up months of their time, to, get, to give up their resources and, um, and their, their time to, to stop what they're doing and build these walls, which they're used to living with. 
So I better come up with something that, that gets them with in rapturous applause because this is going to cost them money and resources and time. So the great leader, Nehemiah, I mean, he's held up and revered as big time leader. We can learn a lot from him. And what he says in this talk, well, that should be gold. OK, that should be something that we actually go, oh, wow, we can learn a lot from this. But listen, if you're if you're an aspiring football manager and your team is down, let's say, two nil at halftime, you're not going to be able to copy and paste Nehemiah's talk and put it into your halftime tea talk, team talk and inspire your team to come back to the victory. It's just not it, it's inspiring but not in that way. We've got a lot to learn from it, but maybe not in the exact words. Well, let's see what he says. Verse 17, <clears throat> he says this. You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we'll no longer be in disgrace. And I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. That's it. That's what he said. That's all he had. Even after making his own assessment of the wall, Nehemiah, all he's got was that. And it isn't even his own words. In fact, they're pretty much exactly the same words that Hanani said to him at the beginning of chapter one, like pretty much word for word, it's the same stuff. So when Nehemiah is coming to, to speak to the people, maybe he's been spending some of this three days crafting this masterpiece of this is what I'm going to say. Actually, what he remembers is his brother's words from months before. What we know is that Nehemiah, our guy, writes stuff down, yeah? He, he writes that what we're, what we're reading here is basically his diary, yeah? It's, he, he writes down what happened. He writes down records of who's there. Like, the, the next chapter after this is like who built exactly what and, and where. There's, there's good, strong records in, in what, he's, what he's writing. And he's also... Lovely, he's putting these lovely little prayers like in the margins as well. It's all personal. It's really, it's really fascinating, actually. But how many times do we can we remember a word that someone's brought to us from maybe four months ago, like like Nehemiah was experiencing there? Maybe, maybe you feel actually God really put a scripture on my heart. Then, can you remember what it is now? What if someone brought a prophecy or a word of encouragement or even just some gratitude to you? Can we have we made any effort to to capture it, to to write it down, to maybe record it on our phone so that actually that can do us good later on? Because it's it's so good. In fact, we've heard already this morning whether we're experiencing this on our uh, to our individual to our individual selves or as a church as a whole let's be a people of god a people who esteem 
the word of the Lord in the Bible, in prophecy, in encouragement. Let it speak life to us. Let it fill up our hearts and, and, and that we might speak life to other people. Let, let's let it take root. Let's, let's capture it that it can actually settle in our hearts and flourish. These are the words from God. Let's use them as a framework for prayer. Let's use them as a framework for our worship. So whether or not you think that what Nehemiah said is particularly worth writing home about, uh, isn't that inspiring, I, I, I don't think. But the outcome, what do, the, what do the people do? They say, well, let's start rebuilding. And Nehemiah says, so they began on this good work. It's like they didn't need that much convincing. But immediately, as soon as they've started on this good work, what happens? Opposition starts in the form of ridicule and mocking and, and slander. They, like People come and say, are you trying to rebel against the king? Nehemiah's been sent by the king to do this. Like this is this is like lies going, oh, you're just trying to take power and, and be unfaithful to the king. Nehemiah's been faithful to the king the whole of his career. And people are starting to bring slander. See, they don't really understand what the holiness of God or what he is calling the people to. I, I think about when I've mocked people when when i've ridiculed people's efforts because it happens sometimes and it's probably happens more in situations that i don't understand or situations where i'm fearful i can see that there's a, some strength happening and i'm like oh uh, I, i'm getting a bit fearful of what's going on some uncertainty so whether that opposition comes from people who who don't know God and they're, they're just they don't grasp how holy he is what he has called the church to or, or what he was calling Jerusalem to in in those days or whether in our own lives as believers we've got ourselves into positions where our head's just down and perhaps we're just thinking a bit cynically and we're we're used to to dwelling amongst the rubble and not making this dwelling a place for the most high god we need to be thinking about this place be, uh, this place being a place that god will dwell so when we lift up our gates just just like david said in this psalm when we lift up our gates that have been burned with fire when our ancient doors of our hearts that have kept some hurt or disappointment shut away for years when they're finally lifted up and the king of glory comes in he's not he's not coming into he doesn't like accept the terms and conditions of your heart he doesn't click that you know that thing that you never read like on the websites and and it's like oh i'm just i'm just gonna tick it at the bottom well god doesn't go oh, well before i come in i better i better accept their terms and conditions no Lift up your heads, O you gates, that the king of glory come, may come in. He's coming in to be king, to have rule, to take, to take ownership and reign over your heart. And we bow to, we bow to him in the knowledge that he is good. His, his name is I am. 
So we don't get to say, well, oh, I think God should do it like this. Or I like to think of God as like this. Please, God, could you behave like that? Don't do any of that stuff, God, because that makes me feel really uncomfortable. No, God is who he is. He was he was and is and is to come. We don't get to say who he should be. No one's been his counselor. His ways are beyond tracing out. He's the alpha and the omega. He's everything in between. He steps out of time, out of the eternal and, and into time. He really does understand how it started, how it's going, and most importantly, where it's going. You see, Nehemiah is faithful, but other than that, he doesn't have a clue of the significance of the story that he's in. The most he can probably expect to do is grasp that, okay, I am reestablishing the walls of Jerusalem to make it great again, because that's what it should be. But how it started was that Nehemiah was born in exile, drinking the the king's cup to make sure that it wasn't poisoned so that the king didn't die. But where it's going is that the king of heaven and earth is kind of, is born out of his home, out of the heavens, into exile on the earth to drink God's cup of judgment so that we don't die. Nehemiah knew his history. We, we know this. So, so he might have just about grasped how it started many, many generations previously. Abraham, Isaac, they made a three-day journey to Mount Moriah. That's where Jerusalem now stands. And Isaac was carrying the wood for a sacrifice that only the Lord could provide. Now, how it's going is that Nehemiah journeys to Jerusalem carrying timber from the Persian parks, the Persian forests, to restore the city's gates. But where it's going is that Jesus carries wood on his back through Jerusalem that he will be crucified on, but his death will restore our relationship to God. How it starts is that one man decides to leave all the strength of the army and the cavalry that he's been sent with by the king. And he just gets on a single horse. Maybe it's a donkey. And he's got a few people, a few men around him. It's quiet. There's no big fanfare. And he goes riding around the walls through the gates of Jerusalem. But where it's going we're going to celebrate this on Palm Sunday, is that the Son of Man, Messiah, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, not with any big show of force, but because he is the Prince of Peace. Why why did Nehemiah leave his army and his cavalry behind? Like, big, big flexing could have done well, could have, like, if you were worried about what you were going to say, that could have got people on, on side, right? But he knew that the people that were going to have to do the work, it needed to be the people of Jerusalem that did it, that that they made the physical difference, the physical building as a sign that they were really ready for spiritual renewal. And you think, well, okay, why didn't Jesus use 
like his army of angels why why didn't he come in force why didn't he just like just get rid of the roman empire well jesus what are you playing at? well because jesus battle wasn't against the roman empire earthly powers earthly conflicts they're just a symptom of the battle that goes on between where our hearts are and where god's is and so he rides in as the prince of peace to make peace between my heart and heaven so that there doesn't have to be conflict anymore no longer do we have to be enemies of god where it started is that that nehemiah waiting in jerusalem for three days to call people out of a disgrace that they were in and to call them into the the gracious hand of his god where it's going is that Jesus lies dead in a tomb in Jerusalem for three days before he calls people out of their shame and to be recipients of grace. You see, not only does Nehemiah literally pave the way for the physical rebuilding of the kingdom that Jesus is going to be born into, but man, his actions they foreshadow the spirit, they foreshadow Jesus and the, the spiritual rebuilding that needs to happen right here. So now we can see how it started, how it's going, maybe even where it's going. And we can see the significance of Nehemiah's journey. The fact that actually, if he didn't have much more to offer than pretty blunt, recycled words from his brother. It didn't really matter. The Lord was always going to use him, wasn't he? Like he'd ordained these moments. God had had ordered his steps. He led him in his ways everlasting that that Nehemiah offered every moment and every word to God. His his will had already been bent to to the Lord. So so God was just going to use whatever he said and convince the people. In fact, when Jesus hundreds of years later is saying to his disciples, you can read this in Luke 12, 12. He says, look, when you're being questioned about me, about the son of man, don't worry about what you're going to say, because the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say at that time. So as we come to a close, I want to ask you a few things. Has God, is God breaking your heart for anything right now? And maybe it isn't, but actually you can recall that he did start breaking your heart for something a little while ago. And maybe you put it to the back of your mind. Maybe you went, no, I can't do anything about that. Maybe you kind of missed the opportunity. Maybe you just forgot about it. Happens. Maybe you wrote it off as like, this is impossible. Can you go back to God and say, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Let him lead you in that journey that might just seem like an emotional response at first. But keep praying. What is he breaking your heart for? Where's he leading you to? How do you know that he might have changed your heart, that your will might have bent to, to God's? Well, we read back in the next chapter, someone rebuilds the dung gate. Someone gets known for that. Maybe that's what happens.
that you think, man, no one cares about what I'm doing. I'm just, I'm just building a dungate. It looks rubbish. But as you do, he's going to change. He's going to change lives. Like what you're doing is faithful and it needs to be done. Now, you might be doing something that's grander than that. You might be doing something that you just feel, ah, God, have you forgotten about me in this? I I feel like you called me to this and I'm being faithful. Hold it lightly, lightly and take it back to him. Hand it over again. Remember where it started. Remember the words that have been given to you. Maybe revisit them. Like, write them down. Get them out again. What has God been saying to me? What, what was he pushing my heart on those months ago? Take an honest stock of how it's going. Is someone on the outside speaking into your life and able to tell you, not that branch. Uh, let's, let, someone's got the whole picture of your life. Can they ask you some honest questions? And let's ask for grace in our next steps. I, 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 I don't know where to turn. I don't know how to build this. I'm just going to wait on you, Lord. I'm going to wait for a few days. We know this. Paul says it in his, in his um, letter to the Corinthians. He says, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know, and maybe you need to know this today, that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. Whatever you do for the Lord is, is never useless, he says. Let's pray as we close. Oh, Lord, most high God, king of heaven and earth. We say we welcome you into this temple. We welcome you into this city. Would you make us a dwelling place for you? It's such a privilege to be known by you. Lord, even if there's opposition that we're experiencing, Lord, it's such a privilege to be known by you, to be filled by your spirit. I want to ask that you would fill my brothers and sisters, people who who are watching today, who are watching tomorrow and the next day. Lord, your words are eternal and they last forever. Would you come and fill us? Would you identify things to us where our hearts need to break in the same way that yours do, does? Would you, would you help us to work out who can see the wood for the trees in our lives? Who can see the rubble that's around it and, and speak graciously and lovingly to us? Lord, you are so good and we welcome you into our hearts as king. And if you agree with that prayer, you can say amen. Well, I'm, it's been so good for, for you to join us today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us here at Jubilee. And I want to um, invite you to stick around for, for our coffee Zoom time that we're going to be doing in just a moment. Um, and Rupert, my friend, may have a few other things to say, so I'm just going to hand over to him. 
Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.